Hey, this morning I want to talk to you. I originally titled this message uh, Roadblocks to Community, but that word gets, uh, I think it's a little bit overused, but also it has a lot of double meanings. And so I, I want to change the title to Roadblocks to Building God's Family. Roadblocks to Building God's Family. It's so exciting, a real uh, sense uh, in my heart uh, that God is calling us to build something special here at Real Life. We're becoming more and more, I believe, a church that looks, lives, and leads like heaven. And as we do, it's important that going forward, our mission is clear. Our mission, which has not been so clear, I like to simplify it as building people for God's plan and purpose. How many know Jesus is in the people business? I remember my youth pastor telling me that from the very beginning. I had just gotten saved, had only been probably saved a few weeks, and he said, Dean, you know what ministry is? And at that time, I I barely knew the definition of the word, and I said, no, I don't. He said, it means ministering to people. We are in the people business. That has stuck with me for a long, long time, and the best way that we can do that as a church is together, amen? It is with one another. You see, if our mission is not about building people for God's plan and purposes, how many know we will build a lot of other things? (laughs) We might build the wrong thing, right? We'll spend a lot of energy on other things. We'll waste a lot of money on things that have nothing to do with what God has called us to do. And how many know our greatest investment is sitting right next to you? Come on, maybe you got an empty seat. Come on, we got to pray that seat full, right? (laughs) The greatest investment in God's kingdom, listen, is not in buildings. Hello, it's not in programs. The greatest investment that we could ever make is in people. Because the kingdom of God, hello, is in people, right? The kingdom of God is in us. George Williams, he first started the Young Man's Christian Association, otherwise known as YMCA, He started it as a Bible study for displaced men in London, England, and the core of this group was centered on learning about Christ, eventually training and commissioning, listen to this, over 20,000 missionaries from the YMCA. But as the organization grew and it expanded to other countries, the focus became all about health and fitness and not reference to Christ. And in 2010, The organization officially dropped three of its four letters to simply the Y, removing any remaining ties to its Christian's roots. How many know that's mission drift? And I believe, listen, God wants us to remain true to our mission, and our mission is people. We build people. As a good example, the organization Feed My Starving Children, after years of putting a uh, nonprofit face, or I should say a secular face on the organization, the leaders of Feed My Starving Children decided to rededicate the organization to its Christian roots in 2003. The results since then, since then have been stunning, with many new donors stepping up to support the mission over a nine-year period of time, FMSC saw its annual budget increase 42 times over from $830,000 to now over $35 million. Come on. How many know we are in the people business? 
It's about people. Real life vision has always been clear, and I believe it's time to clarify and lock in on our mission. The way I like to say it, and because I believe the Holy Spirit dropped it in my heart a few weeks ago, and I believe the Spirit is breathing on it, is I'm with the right people at the right place at the right time. Can we just say that? I'm, at, I'm with the right people in the right place at the right time. Let's play, say it again. I'm with the right people at the right place at the right time. It's the understanding, again, that we have been divinely connected for a divine purpose, that you are not here by accident. Listen, this, this is not just the church that you go to. No, you are the church, and this is where we gather. But a couple of weeks ago, we also gathered in Discovery Park. We are the church. This is not, I go to church. No, we are the church, and God has connect, divinely connected me to you, come on, and you to me, and together we have a greater purpose in the kingdom. It's the understanding and revelation that God has chosen me and connected me and is building me up with a family of believers to accomplish his great plans and purposes together. How many know we're much better together than separated? And I believe, though this is God's intention and this is God's heartbeat for his church, I believe there are also roadblocks to reclaiming our mission there are things that resist the vision and mission we are called to do. And the first roadblock that I want to talk to you, you guys probably think, what is the heck is going on up here? Is it a construction zone or what? But no, I want to go over the roadblocks to building God's family. And the first one is individualism. Individualism is the Christianity version of it's all about me, Lord. Come on. It's the belief that my needs are more important than the needs of anybody else. It's the actions or attitudes of a person who does things without being concerned about what other people think. I'm not talking about being caught up in the fear of man. I'm talking about having no regard, come on, for other people's feelings or other, other, people, other people's lives, right? It's all about me. Deal with it. You're just gonna, have you ever had somebody say that to you? You're just gonna have to deal with me. See, both of these definitions fly in the face of Scripture. 1 John 3, 16 and 17, I'm reading out of the message paraphrase. It says, this is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be about ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. Philippians 2, 1 and 4, again, out of the message, it says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. How many do me a favor? Come on. Then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other. I love this phrase, be deep-spirited friends. I thought about that phrase. Isn't that what the church, come on, is missing? Isn't that what is void in the church today? I'm talking about deep-spirited friends. I'm talking about family. 
Come on, how many know if I disagree, come on, with my family, I just don't hop to another family? I just don't go to my neighbor and say, you know, I'm having a disagreement with my wife right now. Can I spend the night here? Well, you might, but I don't, all right? <laughs> but, but that's how it is, right? Because we don't, we don't understand that, listen, there is a spiritual connection between all of us. Come on, the spirit in you bears witness with the spirit in your brother and your sister. It is a divine connection. And people understand that you've been in church for years, right? Amy and I were in a church for 10 years. I'm going to tell you about that in just a moment. And I remember, uh, I remember resigning, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute, but I remember resigning that church and feeling like my heart got ripped out and not even really understanding it or grasping it at the time. But let me tell you why it hurts so bad, because listen, it went deeper, come on, than a superficial relationship. It was a supernatural relationship formed in heaven. Listen, and when I resigned, listen, I walked away from it, but listen, it ripped my heart out because it was a spiritual connection. We've got to become deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others to get ahead. Oh, I love doing that. I love, see, I love seeing people going farther than me. And help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. You see, the thing I find most common amongst Christians, good church-going people, is that we tend to think we are pretty good at doing our Christian life all by ourselves. You see, we have to understand that the church was birthed in community. It was strengthened in community. The gospel spread because of tight-knit communities. But in the Western world, we've developed an individualistic approach to Christianity. It's about my purpose. It's about my plan. Come on. It's about me, myself, and I. Y'all remember that song? Me, myself, right? Yeah, me, myself, and I. And because of it, we have an individualistic approach to Christianity. We have an individualistic view of the Bible. God, I pray you give me a verse I can highlight today. We have an individualistic view of the church. God, what do you have for me today? Instead of like a few weeks ago, I said, coming in and saying, God, who am I going to sit to next today that needs prayer? Who has a need? Come on that I can practically meet in Jesus' name. You see, these individualistic views produce great individuals, but it does not produce a healthy family that's transforming lives and the world around them. You see, if your world is the only one changing, how many know we're missing it? God called us to change the world, not just our world. Because how many know, come on, he rocks our world, then we change the world. Then we turn it upside down. RLC family and we do a good job of this, but we have to continue to keep the mission in front of us that we, that we build people for God's plan and purpose. And we have to continue to move from me to we and from I to us. We must counter individualism with God's view of church as a family. Everybody say family. family. We're a family on the back wall. That's why it says welcome to our family. Everybody say family again. We are a supernatural family that God 
has gathered, Wayne Grudem, a theologian, he says this, he says, the concept of the church as God's family should give us a new perspective on the work of the church. It's a family work, I love that, or a family business. And the various members of the family never should compete with each other or hinder one another in their efforts, but should encourage one another and be thankful for whatever good or whatever progress comes to any member of the family, for all are contributing to the good of the family and the honor of God our Father. How we know we can celebrate one another. It leads me to my second roadblock, and that is consumerism. Consumerism. Consumerism with it brings unrealistic expectations. Consumerism, I believe, has produced a generation of church hoppers and church shoppers. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but consumerism is this idea that I will choose to be part of a church based on what it has to offer me rather than the healthier process of God is calling me to this church so that my life can be an offering. How many you know you have way more to give? Come on. You have way more to offer God than just coming and saying, God, what's in it for me? No, he's saying there's something in you that this church needs. There's something in you that I want to release through you, listen, that's going to help expand this church's vision, that's going to help us, listen, help us accomplish the mission that I have set out to do. It's locked up on the inside of you. In other words, God hasn't called us to be consumers. He's called us to be a contributor. Everyone say contributor. A contributor's heartbeat says, what can I give and what can I bring? A consumer's constant mindset, however, is what can I get and what have you done for me lately? A contributor brings something to the potluck dinner. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) But a consumer, come on, doesn't bring anything, come on. But they're always the first in line and their plate is always stacked high. You seen that person? (laughs) I remember I was at this one church. I was at this one church and we would just, we would make, we would just kind of, it was kind of an ongoing joke. We say, watch this, she's not gonna bring nothing. Me and my pastor, we just be like, watch this. She's going to be the first in line. Sure enough, first in line and the biggest plate. I'm not lying. (laughs) Romans 12, 1, then 6 and 8 says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. I love that. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, come on, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, so do it gladly. Amen? Amen. Come on, we all have different gifts, but how many know we can't rob one another of those gifts? 
And listen, we're moving into the season, this season where we have to release these gifts in order to build what God wants to build in this house, and that is people. He wants to build his people up. You see, it's in the giving of myself, the giving of my gift, that I find the grace to serve the best of Christ in me to others. When I was on staff at Jesus Culture, from the very beginning, we wanted to set in motion the idea that everyone is called to be a contributor, and we had to fight that because you guys know Jesus Culture, it's an international worship movement, and so you open the doors and you get a lot of consumers. You just get people that want to come to worship, and they don't want to do anything else. You ask them to serve, they're like, I'm here to worship, right? I mean, they're the first, they're right by the door. We open the doors to the first three rows, they're right there. They, they're there to consume glory to God. I rose up early in the morn to get this seat, and God has called me to worship and not serve. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we, we had this thing, and we knew we were going to have it, and, and so we wanted to counter that from the consumer mindset from creeping in the church from the get-go. And I mean, it's like week two, you guys. I mean, and, and we have a, it's a big crowd. The church pretty much started off with when we opened public to the public with about 900 people and we were asking, people were asking, what are you doing for men's ministry? What are you doing for evangelism? What are you doing for small groups? And so as a staff, we were getting all these kind of questions of like, what do you have for me? What, what, what's on the menu at Jesus Culture? And so we got together as a staff and we just kind of recognized like we just weren't, number one, we were just a baby church. Even at 900, we were a baby church and we didn't have, you know, a buffet for everybody to come on, a buffet for the body of Christ. We just didn't have it at that moment. And so we had this idea to start asking the question back. So someone say, hey, what are you doing for evangelism and outreach? And we'd say, well, what are you doing about evangelism and outreach? You, you actually, we, we would challenge them. You, you actually don't need us to go reach your neighbor. You don't need us to do an outreach. And so we started challenging that consumer mindset. Someone, what, what's your plan for our men? And we'd say, well, I don't know. Tell us. Hello? Isn't it funny how we get locked up in church when the church don't have it on the menu? And God could be knocking on our hearts to do that very thing? What's small, you know, what, how can I get connected? How you know that's a big one? Community Connection Sunday. Come on, we're gonna make it easy for you guys, right? But it's a big thing. How can I get connected? Where are your small groups? We didn't have small groups for months. And so we would challenge people. Uh, you could start a small group. Just with a few people, it only takes two over Starbucks. Meet somebody, step out, reach your hand. And listen, it worked. You see, contributors create the expectations, but consumers bring unrealistic expectations. It leads me to roadblock number three, and this is a tough one, church wounds. Have you ever been hurt in church? Hurts and offenses. Talked about this a few weeks ago. But unresolved hurts and offenses will keep you and I in a repeat cycle of do-overs. How many know if you get hurt at real life, 
Come on. You get offended at real life and you go to another place of worship with that hurt and with that offense. How many know you get what we call a do-over? Right? That thing doesn't go away. Your heart goes with you wherever you go. And so we all have church wounds. You might be here because of a church wound. And I can tell you as your pastor or as a friend today, maybe I, you're, it's your first time, I don't know. But listen, God wants to heal your church wound. He wants to help you get over that offense. He wants you to stop hopping and stop shopping because it's not going away until you deal with that thing that is in your heart. Sacramento prayer healing, we had a, uh, a healing night and we had a cross and uh, one of the prayer ministers had called me over and said, Pastor Dean, um, this individual was wounded uh, by a pastor many years ago and she can't seem to get over it. Will you stand in proxy of the pastor who hurt her and speak a blessing over her life? And so that's what we did. It was actually about right here. I asked her to forgive, forgive me, standing in proxy. I asked her to let, to release. And then I prayed a pastoral shepherd's blessing over her life. Luke eleven four 4 says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. And then we stopped there. And God says, there's another verse, keep going. Because if you want access to heaven, you have to deal with your heart. And it goes on to say, forgive us our sins. <laughs> How many know that'll block heaven real quick, right? <laughs> For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us or trespassed or sinned against us. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. How do you know some of this is a daily process? Come on, every day we've got to be checking and filtering our hearts. You see, we desire God's kingdom to come, but the roadblocks that keep us from receiving from heaven are too often created by unresolved relational conflict we've had with others either now or in the past. You think I'm lying? I know. Matthew 5, 23, 24, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, how many know the Holy Spirit has a way of doing that? You guys ever been in worship? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You remember what you said to uh, Bob this week? I bind that in the name of Jesus. You have no authority over my mind. I love you, Lord. Yeah, but you don't love Bob. Oh. You ever done that before? Is it just me? Right? Like you're in the worship. You're like, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And all of a sudden, somebody pops in your mind. And you're like, man, it's just ruined my worship time just now. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying it's easy to put on a show. Come on, it's easy to dance around and spin about, but listen, if you're not dancing and spinning around on the inside, 
If you're locked up on the inside, Jesus says, come on, leave your gift at the altar, go your way and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. How many know that's real freedom? Come on, real freedom is when I'm up here, come on, and I don't owe anybody anything. I've forgiven everybody, come on, I've loved everybody, I've said everything I've had to say, that's true freedom, and now I can dance, come on, I can, I can have joy and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Amy and I mentioned earlier, we spent almost 10 years at Christian Life Church uh, in Santa Rosa, the church is just a remnant of it was probably under a hundred people. Now it's under a different name, but we spent 10 years at the church, Christian Life Church. You might've heard it. It was one of the first mega churches on the West Coast in the uh, early 80s. Um, it was a phenomenal church. And when we were there, um, the church had went through a lot of turmoil, but it was kind of rebounding from a uh, very difficult uh, transition and we got there and it became quickly one of the fastest growing, back in the early 90s now, it became one of the fastest growing churches in America. It was an exciting place to be. I was just a new believer. Uh, Amy was a bus pastor. We had seven buses that would go out on Saturday and bring over 350 kids, not church kids. These were kids that didn't come to church. Their parents didn't come to church. They would canvas on Fridays, go pick them up on Saturdays. Amy was a part of that ministry, and they would come, and we'd do a big children's church on Saturday, followed up by an even bigger one on Sunday. It was a phenomenal time. God was doing amazing things. We did a thing called the Love Feast, where we fed over 5,000 people, and it's just a powerful, powerful time, but unfortunately, you know, things happen. How many know things happen? And we made some bad decisions, and I'm just putting myself on there because I was the youth pastor at the time, and I was just, you know, doing what I could do with the youth. We had an outreach of uh, over uh, 400 per month at our youth events and different things, and it was an exciting, exciting time. Leadership made a bad decision, and I ended up uh, just resigning just because I didn't want to be a part of the fallout, and I'm not saying that was the right thing to do because how many know your heart goes with you? If I, if, I, if, if I had to do it differently, I probably would if I could go back and do that, but I didn't. I was young, uh, and so we resigned. We moved to Houston to go plant a church. Someone asked us to be a part of their church planting team. We were just going to be a part of the team. Again, your heart goes with you, and three months into that church plant, it was called off. Everybody say do-over. Yeah, got to look at what's on the inside now, right? Packed up my family. Josiah was just one year old. Amy went kicking and screaming, but we went anyway because she loves me. <laughs> she still loves me, but she's not going back to Houston, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I remember what God did in our lives during that season. It was a time where we couldn't really look to anybody but God. And I remember we had the opportunity, a church had called us, uh, the youth pastor that I got saved under, he was starting a church and he asked us to come. They were about two or three years into it at the time. And I remember going back, but I still had this residue in my heart of how things abruptly ended at Christian Life Church in Santa Rosa. 
And I remember George and Donna Snow, who were elders at that church, I remember them reaching out to us when we got back to Fremont, and they drove all the way from Santa Rosa. They traveled the world. They're still traveling the world, and they're in their mid-80s. They're amazing, amazing godly people. And they came to us, and I remember we had pancakes for breakfast. I made pancakes. It's one thing that I can make for breakfast is pancakes. We had pancakes, and they just said, they said, Dean and Amy, we love you dearly, but we just don't think that things ended right when you left, and we want to make it right. And not only do we want to apologize to you, but we want to arrange for you to talk to Pastor John and Kathy Warren. So they arranged out, those are the lead pastors at the time, and Pastor John and Kathy came to our parsonage. We lived in a parsonage in Fremont, and we went out to lunch, and we came back. And listen, we were in our minivan, Ford Windstar minivan, and I just remember just saying, Pastor John, Kathy, we love you. You've sowed so much into our lives. We forgive you. We release you. Because how many know that doesn't affect necessarily, that affected us. And because of that, we were able to move on. We were able to get freedom, come on, from a church wound. Long story short, roadblock number four. Are you guys ready? Insecurities. Insecurities, past experiences, fear of failure. You say things like, the last time I tried to put myself out there, nothing happened. The last time I invited somebody out to lunch, they said no. The last time I shared something personal at the small group, they judged me. The last time I attended a small group, all they did was gossip in the form of a prayer request. I've never been to one of those groups. How about you? All right. The last time I tried to start a small group, no one came. I used to tell them when I was a small group leader or overseeing small groups in one church, I said, hey, if nobody signs up for your small group, that means God wants you to be a part of somebody else's. Come on. He's relieving you of the responsibility. Listen, don't let fear intimidate you. Don't let your insecurities get the best of you. Allow faith to motivate you in this new season that we're stepping into as a church. Come on, don't compare what God is doing today with what he did yesterday. Come on, don't compare what God is doing, come on, with the new temple, come on, with what he did with the old temple. How many know that wasn't a good thing? Don't let fear intimidate you. It's okay to be scared. I love this. It just means you're about to do something really, really brave. Someone else said it this way, be afraid and do it anyways. How many know that's courage? Don't let failure define you. Allow failure to refine you. I believe this is a word that God dropped in my spirit this morning some of you are afraid to commit to community, to building God's family because of the insecurity of past experiences has robbed you of your confidence. And God wants to restore your confidence in people. Doesn't mean that people will be perfect. Come on. It doesn't mean that it will, you know, 
It, it doesn't mean that it might not happen again. No, no. He wants to restore your confidence in people. You see, forming family, jumping into deeper connections, creating healthy community, it takes courage. Everybody say, it takes courage. It takes courage. Some of the, come on, some of the, one of the bravest things some of you will ever do is knock on somebody's door, come on, and attend a small knit community, amen? Here's the key. This is something that God dropped in my spirit a couple of weeks ago when we were just kind of dreaming about this day, Community Connection Sunday. Listen, you don't need permission for relationship. You just need courage to build community. Can I say that again? You don't need permission for relationship, just courage to build community. Can I say something? I'm gonna get on my soapbox here for just a moment. We've become so permission-based when it comes to building relationships. Come on, it has thwarted us from becoming deep-spirited friends. Hello. We say things like, Pastor Dean, can I start a group of young men playing basketball? Yeah, go ahead. Right? Right. We, of course you can, right? I mean, if you were out at your job, right, would you ask your boss if you could take a coworker out to Starbucks? But somehow we get in church, right? And we need permission, come on, to have relationship. And what I'm trying to say is, listen, come on, go and build deep-spirited friendships in Jesus' name. Listen, ask, this is how easy it is. Ask somebody out to lunch. After you leave here today, there's gonna be tents in the parking lot. Sign up for something, anything. You don't need permission. You just need courage to build community. I'm gonna move on because I, I can keep going on that one. Roadblock number five that robs us of building God's family is familiarity. Familiarity. How does that work? Amy and I, we just celebrated 27 years of marriage. And we've kind of developed this like thing over time. And some of you that have been married for a long time, you, you might understand this, but it's like we can kind of fall into thinking that we know everything about one another. You guys ever been there? Like, it's kind of weird, but it's cool at the same time. You know, like, sometimes we say the same things at the same time, and it's kind of like, yeah, we're on the same page. Yeah, you know? We fill in each other's blank. You know what I mean? I'm saying something. She'll complete the sentence. It's like, oh, baby, yes, come on. I feel the Holy Ghost, right? Amy can look at me and tell that there's something wrong. I'll walk in the house. What's wrong? Nothing. Liar. <laughs> you don't know me. I know you. She'll say, I, am, I know you. I know that look. What look? That look right there. 
I know when my wife has had a bad day. She'll come in the garage door. She don't say a word. And that means don't say anything to me right now. Don't say, how was your day? Don't say, how were the little twos and three years old today? Because I already know how. She's quiet, and she's trying to find relief. She's trying to get her mind back. All right. You see, I know a lot about my wife, but if I claim to know everything about her, I don't leave room for God's transformation in her life. Familiarity is the enemy to God's divine design for relationships. That's kind of how we get in church sometimes. Well, they've been coming to the church for years. They've always struggled in that area. Let's put them on the prayer list. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Familiarity is the enemy to God's divine design for relationships. Familiarity lowers my expectations of others around me. Come on. It robs me of the divine because I know you. I know that look. You've been struggling for that with that for years. You know they said the same about Jesus. His own hometown. His own relatives got so familiar with the carpenter Come on, that they forgot he was the creator, that he was the miracle worker. Mark 6, 4 says he could only do a few miracles in his own town because of their unbelief. Could you imagine what would happen in this place? Come on, and in this community and in all Sacramento, if we just started to believe, come on, in one another? That we could, we could believe, come on, for each other's dreams, that we could believe what God has deposited and you could, yes, be a part of actually influencing society and culture. Come on, how many know the culture desperately needs people of God to rise up in this hour? You see, familiarity limited an entire community to only a few miracles. It says, I know who you are, but faith says, I see who God is calling you to be. Familiarity says you'll always be the same, but faith says from glory to glory, he's changing you. Familiarity familiarity never forgets your past, but faith is always believing for your future. And with familiarity comes security. Faith brings me into new territory and discovery. I want us to declare this. We did it a couple of weeks ago. If you could put it on the screen for me, but a declaration. Can we just do this? I am a people builder. I will look for opportunities to encourage others to bring out the best in them and to help them accomplish their dreams. I will speak words of faith and victory, affirming them, approving them, letting them know they are valued. I will call out their seeds of greatness, helping them to rise higher and become all that God created them to be. This is my declaration. Can we give God praise for that? And my last roadblock to building God's family is excuses. Anybody in there hold on to things you don't know why you held on to them, and then you stumble upon them, you're looking through stuff, 
that you saved and then something falls out and you go, I knew I'd use that one day. I was a youth pastor for almost 10 years and uh, I don't know, I had this just stuck away in a folder and I'm trying to get all my uh, sermons on, on, you know, scan them and get them digitally so I don't have a big box of, of sermons from, from my early years of ministry. And I opened this one folder and this, this pink brochure fell out on the floor and it says, Destiny Youth Ministries, it's the excuse buster. <laughs> and so like, I remember now, like, I remember like when we first did this at a youth, like, you know, the teens would always come with different excuses. Oh, I can't get a ride, right? And then we would say, don't have a ride? We now have shuttle stops in Santa Rosa, Katati, Hillsburg, Windsor, and Sebastopol. We got the parents to carpool and bring kids there. Nobody cares. We do. Our visitation teams will be calling and visiting every young person on a regular basis. It's boring. It can't be boring. Our youth ministry is filled with drama, multimedia, human videos. It's not relevant. Modern presentation of God's word as it applies today. I don't fit in. How many know these aren't just youth excuses? Come on. How many know it's time to build? Excuses would be things like, it's time to build. Well, Pastor Dean, I don't have time to build. I'm not a builder. It's time to create community. I'm not a people person. I'm not creative. Here's one, and, and I fall in this cat. This is an easy one to use. I'm an introvert. We've all heard the excuses. We've all had them. We all make them and said them. Things like we're really busy. I sowed in the early years of this church. It's someone else's turn. I can't connect. I have a prior commitment. How many of you have a prior commitment? I don't have room for extra relationships. It's shifting the responsibility to someone else. So how do we build God's family? By taking personal responsibility. <laughs> 